0: You're listening to WALT,
1: Homegrown,
0: Homemade Radio.
1: Where you from? Like where my parents were born? San Lorenzo, Puerto Rico. Where you from? As in what gang I belong to? Yeah, I'll tell you what gang I belong to. The gang is going to help you bury your friend. The gang is gonna be there for you and your cholo's when every other fucking home doesn't want to deal with your tired ass bullshit. Your friend is dead, man. Now, do you want me to help you, or you just want to go heads up?
0: Welcome to Fisher Family Ghosts, a Six Feet Under companion podcast. I'm Sam Dingman.
2: I'm Adrian Bain.
0: And we have two very special guests
2: So special
0: on the program today. We are recording this episode in Alexandria, Virginia, in my childhood home, with...
2: Surrounded by Christmas detritus.
0: Surrounded by so much Christmas detritus. <laughs> and we are joined by my brother Jake. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: my mom. And hello also.
0: Yes. Okay, good work, everyone. Does
1: this mean we're ready?
0: Yes, we are ready. Okay, what are we ready for? What we are ready for is the fourth episode of the first season of Six Feet Under. La Familia.
2: <laughs> Con la Familia.
0: See? Si. Well, Jake. that's the name of the episode. I was just looking at it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. oh. See, Jake's already more professional. Then. I
2: thought you were doing an impression of one of Sam's Italian impressions. <laughs> no, that would be a La Familia. <laughs> oh, my God. Great. Mm-hmm.
0: Jake. Yes. Do you remember what resonated about six feet under for you when you first saw it um I remember
3: that I had that feeling which I don't actually know if I've ever gotten with another tv show but it happens often with books where Mm -hmm. I'm so drawn into the characters that like when I with a book when I close the book I'm I like. I feel what they're feeling. I want to know what's happening to them. When I finish the book, I want to know what happened to them afterwards. And I remember that that happened with Six Feet Under. That when I wasn't watching it, I like wanted to know what the characters were doing.
0: What do you think created that sense for you? Was it that there was something particularly realistic about the way the characters were painted, or I mean.
3: They are both very relatable and also very extreme. Like, I, mm-hmm. it w- would be difficult for me. To, I I don't think I would say that I n- know anyone like any of those characters, but they'd certainly do and say things that remind me of people that I know.
2: How old were you when you first watched it?
3: So I must have watched it in 2002 when it came out in D- on DVD, so that would be 17.
2: Mm. Feeling a lot of feelings at seventeen.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. um, and I do remember. This is going to sound morbid, but I feel like that's sort of a given <laughs> with talking about this show. Um,
2: Wait, what
0: about his? <laughs> Just,
3: Did I, I miss something? It's, it's pretty
2: subtle, but <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Um, cool. you have to stop sleeping through the episodes? <laughs> <laughs> I can't.
2: It, whatever.
3: <laughs> um, I remember. I must have gotten bought the DVDs. I guess like over the summer, towards the end of the summer. Um, And I remember that fall when I was watching it, sometimes when I wanted to go for a walk, there is a graveyard about a five-minute walk Mm. from here, and I would go to the graveyard and walk around there. And there was nothing morbid about me wanting to be there. It just was like this show sort of does, I think, emphasize the the peace that goes along with death. Mm-hmm. And so the graveyard is a very peaceful place. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's what I remember.
0: And going for a walk in the graveyard is sort of a way of getting to spend time with the characters mm-hmm. in the way that you were just describing, in the sense that you're in a world that they also spend a lot of time in yes. amongst hmm. the dead.
2: Maybe. Because we definitely live in a society that is, like, we we closet death. You mm-hmm. know, like, we don't really mm-hmm. shine a lot of light on it. Maybe something about the TV show made, like, almost normalized or made, like, walking through a graveyard more comfortable, you know, because it's definitely a strange place to want to just go through, a like, stroll through, yeah. even though it is a beautiful graveyard.
3: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, though, is that I – so my – Again, no way to say this without sounding morbid, but my interest in graveyards actually did not start then, because mm. I remember like when we were in Italy the first time, so I would have been 14.
0: Listener, this is a reference to the fact that Jake and mom went to Italy f- while mom was teaching on a study abroad program, and Jake did ninth grade in Italy at an Italian school. A few months of ninth grade. A I few months that. of ninth grade, despite not speaking a word of Italian. A few words. A few words. <laughs> um, poquito. Yes. That's not
3: Italian, I don't
2: think. <laughs> I don't think so. I, th-
3: I think it is un, uno poquito italiano. Si. si. Think La think familia. Pongo. But um, there was a poquito graveyard mm. outside of Cortona, and I remember one of Mom's fellow teachers asked, I guess I had like been to the graveyard that day and she said, do you like graveyards? And I remember saying yes. And Mm -hmm. I also remember when we used to go to Cape Cod, we would sometimes go to old graveyards there. And that was, I used to Mm -hmm. like to go around and find the oldest graves Mm -hmm. there. I I don't know. I've never really done much thinking about this. Um, It's not like...
0: uh, Guess what? That's the whole point of this podcast.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's not like I ever wanted to go into a profession that was related to it. It's more more of an aesthetic thing. It's just something that I, I find interesting.
0: So I'll be curious to know after we watch the episode if you find yourself discovering some tendril of what that connection might be because... The experience for me in the episodes we've done so far has been that I remember feeling very magnetized to the show in the same way you were describing, feeling like I missed the Fishers when I wasn't watching the episodes, like there was something about me that felt like it really fit in and belonged in that family, even though I'd never experienced anything like what they did. And in going back to it, I feel like one of the things that I have discovered is maybe a sense that, like Nate's character... I resonate a little bit with the idea of feeling like I'm always trying to negotiate what everyone else in the room is feeling and figure out how I can support that or create space for it. And I couldn't have given that the name when I first watched it, but I do know that after I first watched it, I knew that I wanted to start dressing like him. So there was some, that's my version of wanting to go for a walk in the graveyard. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mom. Yes. What do you remember from your first viewing of Six Feet Under?
1: The character I find interesting is the sister who went to art school, right? Because she's, which is not at all really of superficially what the show is about, because it's about the funeral home and it's about death, but it's also about being the odd person out, mm-hmm. which is what she is. Mm-hmm. And that is. Certainly, if you know a relatable character, I don't necessarily think that I'm the odd person out, but certainly my students have always been the odd people out. Mm. And Hmm. so that's what I think about, you know, the art school student when I think about, I don't even remember her name. Claire. 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 Yep. Mm I also find it interesting that as we started to sit here, it's one of those little esoteric observations that you could hear the train in the background, right? When Jake started talking, and of course, from this house, you can hear the train's and when Jake was little, he used to think that the trains were carrying people up to heaven. So that's pretty interesting as he's speaking about this show that has to do with death and dying in graveyards, that that's what he's thinking about.
3: Do you remember that, Jake?
2: Oh, my God.
3: No, I do not. <laughs> I apologize. I mean, I vaguely...
2: Oh, my God. That's this. Is, how old it's is it's he? Weird.
1: We're just a kid. You know, it's just a very lovely thought that that's the next Whoa. place... And then that's how they go to the next place. So I didn't was thinking about whether or not I would throw that in, but I do think it's interesting. Love yeah, it. I would say it's
3: nope.
0: somewhat related.
1: That's mm-hmm.
2: hot tape.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but it's bizarre because we're, we weren't even raised with any idea of heaven exactly. or afterlife. So I don't know where I got it from, but I also don't remember thinking it. So I. Apologize but that's why, that why I, I said can't that's, give that's more background on that.
1: That's why I thought it was just so bizarre because. There was no concept of afterlife or heaven or what happens after people die. I mean, you know, we never talked about that. We still don't talk about that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have a plan. <laughs> so I think that I don't have it in my will. I mean, I don't have it, you know. And so I do. I, that's one of the reasons I thought it was so interesting.
0: Wait, you mean you don't have anything in your will providing for what you want to be done with your body? Yeah, like?
1: but it's not going to be my problem. <laughs> Right. So, you don't want
0: us to put it on a train in a box marked heaven.
1: Fine with me. (laughs) So, I guess it's an avoidance thing. But anyway, I just thought that that was interesting that when Jake started to speak, I could hear the trains in the background.
0: Whoa. Adrian Bain. Sam Dingman. We are about to watch the fourth episode. Mm -hmm. And you are the only person in the circle who will be seeing this episode for the first time. Fresh eyes. What's stayed with you from the first three episodes that we've
2: watched. Oh, that's great because so much of our actual own family life has happened given that it is two days before the end of the year. So we spent one fa- one week with my family, one week with your family. I think the fire was the last thing that we did. Yes. And between the last time we recorded, we actually went to a funeral home right. and listened to real funeral home drama there's major drama in my fam in my town about the coroner because coroners are not supposed to also run a funeral home they're supposed to go to the body and identify like who which of the funeral home directors if there's more than one in a town who takes care of them so if a coroner is also a funeral home director they have a conflict of interest and in my town that is happening which makes my mom's fiancé. Now we can say that. Now we can say that. Um
0: That's another thing that happened over the holidays. <laughs> oh she my went, god,
2: guys, my mom got engaged. <laughs> she it's went from
0: partner to fiancé.
2: Wild. Um she will be Madame Morticianer. <laughs> 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 um so we had to listen to that drama because Peter had to pick up a body on Christmas Eve.
0: <laughs> that was we should just say. So we're sitting in Adrian's mom's kitchen on Christmas Eve we're eating Chinese food and Peter, who is one of, who should be the only town mortician, came charging up up the stairs having had Uh, a beverage or six (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and said, well, I gotta go to Philmont and pick up a body.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, here's money for Chinese food.
0: (laughs) And that's, uh, it it was- just
2: a normal day in that house.
0: It was such a real-life illustration of the kind of thing that happens in Six Feet Under, which is you're living your normal existence, and then someone else's tragedy becomes a part of your
2: day-to-day life. Christmas Eve Christmas is very popular in the funeral home business. Hey. I know. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Let's let's watch watch episode four.
1: Jesus. There's
2: no accident you guys are undertakers. You take every fucking feeling you have, put it in a box, and bury it.
3: Better that than examine her every fucking moment until all the joy is drained out of it.
0: Okay. Oh, my God. So did Brenda set the fire? Who set the fire?
2: Did Brenda set the fire?
0: I want to say for the record, I honestly don't remember from previous viewing of the show who set the fire or if we ever find out that's i'm not just asking this question as a ploy for interesting conversation i genuinely don't remember huh do you remember jake
3: i i think i remember so i'm not gonna say anything okay
2: hmm. i was like jake does the candles <laughs> those are too many
3: no they were far enough away okay that, yeah
2: <laughs> not up close and personal candles. okay oh, <laughs> we,
0: we should we should say jake has a yeah. deep and abiding um Dislike of candles in any form. Yep. So the scene with Brenda laying amongst them was was traumatizing.
2: (laughs) Hacky. It was just so like.
0: Wait, say more about why.
2: Especially given that like she waltzed through the funeral home and was like, "Oh my god, this is all (laughs) so kitsch." Right. Right. I don't know. It's just like, I think we've kind of talked about this before. Where some of the writing or like scene stuff is just like a little... I don't know. It feels a little shoot-in.
0: Well, I think part of what Alan Ball, who created it, likes to do is play with tropes, and he likes messing with with genres. So I think a lot of times when he's using images or character types that are very familiar, he's doing it in service of something larger.
1: Mm. One of the things that they do do is they spend a lot of time it's not an action show right no. so there's mm-hmm. it's there are these mm-hmm. really long the camera moves back we watch the mother walking down the steps so carefully we watch her carrying the linens that are so carefully folded mm-hmm. to reinforce you know this life that other people are supposed to think is pathetic but it's really not i mean with her little anklets and mm-hmm. Right. But she's she's a pretty interesting person. But of everyone, she's the one that's basically ignored. But what they do do in a really effective way is they use time. We're used to things happening faster. Totally. And things don't happen fast in this show.
0: It sounds like you're saying you had forgotten how much of a character study it is, as opposed to. I don't know, an examination of the ins and outs of the, the funeral business.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. But this, yeah, this one was also interesting cause it was the first time that race had ever really been brought up too. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of character development with like social stuff really woven into it as well. Jake,
0: what stood out for you having watching it for the first time in a long time? Anything that, uh, hit you differently this time?
3: Well, I guess one thing just in relation to what you guys have talking have been talking about is that at this point, it's really a show about people who don't know each other very well, even though like the main characters are all in the same family. but then you could extend that to David doesn't has no idea where Federico is from and right. obviously has all these assumptions about him, even though they've known each other for a really long time and Without ruining anything for those who haven't seen the whole show,
2: (laughs) Jake's just a bag of spoilers.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it I think one of the the major themes of the show, or one of the major arcs, is them getting to know each other, and that can be really satisfying. And in some instances, I remember it not being so satisfying.
2: Yeah, I mean that's totally right. I mean, like at this point, I think only Claire is the one. Just if we're talking about like the big things about the things that people don't know that the own own family doesn't know about each other is like no one but Claire knows about David's sexuality. And even she hasn't spoken to him about it. She learned about it through Keith in the previous episode. So it's totally right. And I feel like in a certain sense, like going back to the identity thing, it's really them just figuring out who they are especially without the patriarch anymore, who was this like center point that everyone else like revolved around Mm -hmm. or in Nate's case, like went off. I do think that we saw Nate's, I feel like I really saw Nate's high empath in this one where he connected Mm -hmm. with the-
0: When he talks to the mom. Mom,
2: oh my God, that was beautiful. And I was like, yeah, you do have a gift.
0: That was a really beautiful scene. That was scene. beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree with what I think is lurking behind what all of you guys are saying, which is that this was an episode very much about belonging and who you think you're, you're raised to think you're supposed to be a part of and what the circumstances of your life drive you towards instead and what creates a feeling of belonging that you weren't expecting to do so. And, you know, when you think about this episode, it's called Familia, and it's about this 21-year-old kid who, in his parents' eyes, has gone astray and joined up with this organization that is not who he is. But clearly, he feels more like himself with them than he does being whatever they expected him to be, and the parents are having to reckon with that. And similarly, Nate is continuing to take the next steps in the, his process of becoming a part of this company. Like, this is an episode where he and David are working together on a business plan when an, an episode or two ago they couldn't even be in the same room without arguing. He's continuing to get more enmeshed in this and using his gift more. Um, Claire is coming off of what we... No is stealing a foot and think maybe is setting this fire she has that whole scene with the guy from manuel's gang where she's like what's it like to shoot somebody or you know what's it like to be a part of this she's clearly feeling like more and more she is not whatever she has been expected to be for all this time
2: she's being lured to the dark side a little bit
0: yeah and brenda is aware from the second she walks in the door that she doesn't belong here and is trying to navigate that without losing herself. Everybody, and, and then the most obvious example probably is David yet again is confronted with the fact that he can't reconcile his sense of self with what at least Keith expects him to do in terms of sexuality, in terms of sticking up for himself when the guy yells at them in the parking lot. And then I guess the other part of that is the, the Fisher family is, has to ask themselves, like, well, we are, are we the kind of funeral home that would host this funeral for a guy who was in a gang? There's going to be all these gang members here and there. They realize, well, this is what we do. We comfort people in their time of need. And this is the best gig we have available to us right now. So yes, we are. And we need a
2: new air conditioner. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then at the end, the family of Manuel, both chosen and biological, asks them to be a part yeah. of their prayer and um, really gathers all the threads together.
2: We also looked up how Mexican funerals can sometimes last two days, which is why there was like that weird time jump. And I was like, I have a feeling this is not a one-day stint. And so I looked it up.
0: It was definitely weird that you think we have left Manuel's funeral, more of the plot happens, and then we come back to the funeral home, and the funeral's apparently still happening. Yeah. Another thing, just in this vein of belonging, is when... David says to Federico, can you go talk to these people because I assume you know how to speak gang because I am clueless. Federico says, you know, how dare you make these assumptions about me? Yeah, totally. But then when the guy who was in the gang with Manuel tries to get aggressive with Federico and he says, hey man, where are you from? Federico takes him out into the hallway and he literally says, the Fishers are my gang. Yeah, You don't know me yeah. because that guy's making assumptions about him. And he says, my gang is the people who are going to comfort you in this time of need. So what are you going to do about it?
2: I wanted to talk about the deceased guy was Marco. Manuel. Or Manuel. This was the first time I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that he has been the continual inner monologue of a living character. And I kind of loved it.
0: I think it is, if you don't count, Nathaniel Sr.
2: No, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't, but that's like the first time where it's like not a family member, not someone who they knew beforehand. Obviously, they were playing into like very cliched stereotypes of like what it means to be in a Latino gang. But
0: I do think it But worked.
2: I thought it was, yeah, I thought it worked.
0: Thematically, it worked from the standpoint, I mean, if we buy my whole diatribe about belonging, it did work in the sense that it's a way of illustrating for David you may not think you have anything in common right with this person, but actually you are struggling with many of the same things as him if you would just allow yourself mm-hmm. to tap in, you might find some community
1: yeah, because it does uh raise i mean why why does that why is it written so that this is who David is talking with
2: right if we look at David, like David is someone who is having a moment of struggle in his sexuality, which I think is inherently linked to him being a dude, which means it's his struggle with masculinity. And both Keith and this Latino gang member portray like extreme versions of masculinity, you know, and like aggressive machismo, you know? So I think that it's really interesting that they chose that individual to represent something that, like, the plot is almost encouraging David to, like, take more of, you know, because it's not in his nature to be verbally or, like, physically aggressive, Well, you and that's know? interesting, too, because- Or, like, a man up, I quoted there.
0: Keith and Manuel are literally on opposite sides of the law. Keith's a cop. Right. And Manuel is in a gang. But what's consistent is the machismo yeah. element of both of their personalities. Yeah.
1: Well, but don't you think that each character is kind of the ramped up version of whatever they're supposed to be figuring out?
2: Yeah, I think that with like the Latino with the Mexican guy, absolutely. Like he's just a full on stereotype ramped up. But I think that is used as a device for David to have new conversations with himself that he's probably never had before. Whereas Keith, I think we do see a nice spectrum of him being like very compassionate, which we see in past episodes. Um, and then this one was definitely the first time that he did get just more aggressive.
1: Well, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about just David and Keith. I was thinking about each of the characters. Yeah, I mean, like Claire is sort of the over-the-top example of the kid who's screwing up right yeah the mom's the over-the-top example of the mom who's being overlooked mm-hmm. and who all of a sudden comes on as okay i'm gonna part i'm gonna be a partner now mm-hmm. brenda's the over-the-top you know sexual object so yeah. each in and, and you know nate, nate is the conflicted one but i mean they're each pretty much the sort of the personification of their characters
0: yeah yeah well But that's interesting, too, because it kind of exists in contrast a little bit with the point you were making earlier, Mom, about how at the same time as all of them are these exaggerated versions of these types that we know about, the story is also at pains to ask us to really consider them as individuals by spending so much slow time with all of them.
1: Yeah, and I think that they're really building the series. I would assume. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know that because of hindsight, but, I mean, that's what they're doing. They have to let the viewers know who the characters are, and you also want you want the viewers to care about them.
0: And I think that is what I was trying to get in a fumbling way with my Alan Ball comment earlier, is I think that's why he's interested in using types and tropes and stereotypes, is to ask you to both recognize this thing that you've seen in a million stories before and then reconsider it. Mm -hmm. I am reminded in this moment, as we're talking about it, of the tagline for American Beauty, which was ellipsis, look closer. Right. (laughs) And American Beauty, obviously, is playing with a lot of the same stereotypes as this.
1: Well, I just will add that one of the things I do remember about the show is the fabulous house.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh my God, yes.
1: (laughs) You know, and then it all comes back. at The kitchen, Uh uh the room, you know, where they always sit and watch TV. Mhm. Mhm. And then Brenda's house its so I mean those the settings are fabulous. Mm-hmm.
0: They're fabulous and they're so specific. They don't look like sets
1: and they don't look like vintage. They don't they don't look retro. They just look right. Mhm.
0: One of the things I was thinking about about the the room where they have the funeral for Manuel having just spent time in an actual funeral home <laughs> as we were discussing in the first part of the episode is the way they lay they have that room laid out it looks exactly like the viewing room in Peter's house in the sense that it ha- it's that same very high vaulted ceiling. Mm. there are curtains that can be drawn to achieve various configurations mm-hmm. lights that play off the ceiling to create different moods um, chairs that can be bunched up or spread out to make it look more or less crowded a kind of moth-eaten carpet, earth hey. tones <laughs>
2: That's part of my inheritance now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh
0: man, <laughs> the show just got even more relatable. For I know.
2: You. Oh my god, it did. Yeah. I didn't even put that piece together yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll unpack that more as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I thought it was interesting that the mom, Manuel's mom, is scandalized by his involvement with the gang, and then comes to a sort of begrudging acceptance that this is his family at the end. And does she? Well, they all pray together. They
2: all pray together. Okay. And the Mr. Power is powerful. The one who powerful runs?
0: says go get the fishers, yeah. but it's the mom who says will you pray with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are they sort of have a tacit alignment yeah. there. Um and also Ruth is very scandalized by Nate's involvement with Brenda and comes to a sort of more begrudging hmm. acceptance. Oh,
2: interesting. Oh, interesting parallel, Dingman. Yes. Mm. How do we feel about Brenda sending that olive branch? Do we think that was necessary? It obviously mollified things.
0: Hmm. I think it was one of the first moments of vulnerability that yeah. we see from Brenda. This is the first time she takes the risk of exposing herself in a way after literally exposing herself. <laughs> yeah,
2: I think that, right, right, right. I think that it is the first time that we see that she actually does care about Nate and she does care about where this relationship goes because I feel like in the beginning, she's been like, oh, it's whatever. You're going to go back to Seattle soon, you know, and it is slowly becoming something more.
0: Even though it has been abundantly obvious, I think as an audience member that she's very invested in it. Totally. Because one of the things we talked about in I think it was the last episode is that, you know, they wake up in the morning and she's like, what are you doing today? Keep your cell phone on. I might need to call you.
2: Oh my God, that episode is too much
0: (laughs) jake what is your reaction to brenda all this all this time what did you make of her at the time and what do you make of her yeah well it's
3: it's so hard to say because i because i've seen the whole Mm -hmm. series and like i was surprised to hear that she was your least favorite character i guess because without having think thought about it consciously i do think of her as being one of the many interesting characters in the show, and she does. She may be the one who changes the most throughout mm. all the series. I will say that this particular episode, I believe, is referenced in, the, if not the very last episode of the show, like the second to last one. Um, so, mm. so it is a very important moment in the evolution of her relationship with the the entire family. I would say. I'm having
0: this strong realization as we're talking about this episode, Jake, that you have a pretty clear memory of where everything goes. And it must make it hard for you to participate in this (laughs) speculative dialogue about, I wonder who set the fire. Right. (laughs) Right.
2: right. Why Um, do we think that Brenda and Nate are together? That I'm kind of, I'm a little... Confu- I understand, I feel like I understand why Brenda is attracted to Nate because she's like, Yet, let me dissect you. You know, but why? why does Nate keep going back to her other than sex?
0: That is a really good question.
2: I think I understand Keith and David a little bit more because I see a real balance there. And I also do see Keith as being a pretty evolved person and he very much recognizes that David has a lot of growing to do not only in just his sexuality and accepting it, but like, like what is he doing with his business? What is he doing with his life? All of that. Like, I understand what that dynamic is and like, but I feel like Nate and Brenda are still like figuring themselves out. I Maybe know, are that's they it? Just, Are they just lost together?
0: Maybe that's it. Maybe it's that, They, I mean, their moment of connection initially is a willingness to have what they think is going to be a super casual sexual encounter in a closet. Yeah. And then they both, when she's giving him a ride home, realize, I'm actually going back into this family situation where there's a lot of unresolved stuff happening. I mean, for Nate, obviously his father's just died, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, she's nervous for her own reasons. So it could be as simple as they see both of those things in each other. The willingness to be impulsive, the unwillingness to overthink things, and the tendency to overthink things.
2: (laughs) Right. And kind of like, they're definitely using each other as an escape. But I'm curious if this leads into a relationship where like, Sometimes you realize that you're dating for someone for a really long time and nothing's wrong, but it's not an amazing relationship either, but both of you are like content in it and it just keeps going on even if it's not the person that you should really like be with.
0: Jake, what uh what would your answer to the question be without giving away? <laughs> Yeah. Where well, go.
3: I'm remembering, I so I think that this moment probably happened before today's episode, but I know there's a moment in the show where Nate says something to her, like, I don't think he says, why are we together? But he says something, and she says, it's because of your father. You were with me at your most vulnerable. Has that happened already? Yes, I think that okay. has happened. So. Yeah, and so when I think about that and again trying to be as spoiler free as possible <laughs> when i think about other relationships that Nate has in the show i think that that's a constant element is that he has relationships with people who he can be very vulnerable with or uh-huh. has or is forced to be vulnerable with or just like happens to be with them at a vulnerable moment uh, i mean that's Probably a good reason, a healthy reason to enter a relationship yeah. is if you feel like you can be supported. Um, but we haven't really seen the support yet so much or we maybe we've seen it, but it comes across in more of a callous way.
0: That's what I was just going to say is something that I was struck by again in this episode is how much Brenda, every time Nate tries to talk about how he's feeling, she really stiff arms him or tries to sexualize The moment that they're in, Mm -hmm. she kind of won't let him actually talk about what he's feeling. That happened in the last episode when they're in the abandoned house. And he talks about being in there with his friend when they were kids. And it happens again in this one where she says, like, wow, this looks like a set of a Diane Arbus photo shoot or whatever. And he tries to talk about the day that he was having and she won't have it. And then finally she says, "Okay, come here, talk about it. And then he tries to talk about it. And then the next thing you know, Ruth walks in on them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then doesn't it change when he's in bed and he says to her, Come here. And she says, You can't resolve, you can't do everything. Sex can't take care of everything.
0: Yes, that was interesting.
2: I think that's her just being in control because she's always been like, Mm all of those moves that Sam was just laying out is like her being in control. Mm-hmm. And sex is something that she can control. Right. So I don't think that it's, ne- like she does use sex as a, as something that she gives and can withhold.
0: Mm-hmm. But that also, I think, Mom, points at the thing you were talking about, about how all of the other characters, all of the characters are certain types in the world that show the characters who they are faced off against something about themselves. Her... Saying that to Nate is kind of her saying it to herself. And then another thing I thought about that scene is that she says to him, "It's not a surprise that you your family's in the undertaking business because you're so good at burying things and not and then forgetting they ever existed." And he says, "Well, that's better than analyzing stuff so much that it can't be enjoyed anymore." Right. And I th- I just thought that was an, a nice moment of dialogue that also basically lays out the whole conundrum of the series.
2: And they're dynamic, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm
0: -hmm. But I do think it's interesting that we spend so much time in this podcast and the show spends so much time thinking about their relationship because it is basically the tension of the entire show is kind of what plays out in their relationship with each other.
3: Right. So seeing this show now, I keep thinking about E.M. Forster. Mm. which is maybe not an obvious connection to make, but I didn't know anything about E.M. Forster. The first time I saw the show, but I've since become a fan of him, and one of my favorite books and movies is Howard's End. And I would say, in a way, some of the themes of Howard's End are very similar to this, in that Howard's End is about three families of very different classes coming together and sort of trying to come to terms with each other and in some cases they're successful in some cases they're not and if you read the book of howard's end there's a i don't know what the exact term for this would be but uh sort of an epithet at the beginning where e.m forster writes only connect and that's sort of a theme for much of his writing that I've read is that he seems to be encouraging people to get along with each other, which sounds very trite. And like saying, even saying those words only connect sounds kind of trite. Um, And I would say like his books are not at all trite and they they do get at the more complex ways that people can connect. And I was thinking about how it happens in his books that like people who are very different from each other or who have struggles with each other, they do come to terms and sort of meet each other, but it's never easy. It's never without some kind of catastrophe happening. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting how in this show, because I, as I was saying before, I keep thinking about how it's about people who don't know each other, even though they should. um, And they're trying to get to know each other but when you see them doing it in ways that like a therapist would probably suggest that they do like sit down and have a conversation with each other ways that should be healthy it never works in this Mm -hmm. show or rarely (laughs) works um because like one of them will put up a wall or um or just act in a very extreme way and when it does happen in the show, it's through catastrophe. Like, it's through the fact that the father dies at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very American TV, I think, because <laughs> that's what makes it entertaining, I guess, is mm-hmm. that it's about a dysfunctional family.
2: But I am curious, like, when I watch a show, like, I'm one out of three, and it makes me really think about my relationship with my sisters, and I'm curious... Especially watching it together, like, did it make either of you think about your relationship as brothers any differently, like then and now? I know it's like kind of a deep personal question, but we're going there.
3: Yeah, but that for me it's easy because no, like, they have so much trouble relating with each other, and, right? And we've never been that way, and that's why I don't relate with it because right. it yeah, it just seems like
2: maybe they just yeah. haven't found. The fountain pens yet the no, great unifier. Yeah. They, need,
3: they have they have dead bodies, but it's not quite cutting it for <laughs> yeah, that's them. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I also think that the tension you were describing, Jake, in the writings of E. M. Forster about these ideas that seem trite, but actually in the execution is the hardest thing humans right. can try to do with each other. That goes back to what we started talking about at the beginning of this conversation, which is sometimes this show deals in stereotypes, deals in dynamics that can feel overly familiar, and yet it's somehow so relatable because we all have some relationship to how fraught these things can be. Mom, do you remember that we were talking about how important it is to be able to get along with people earlier today?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You mean the fact that I was saying that you get along with Everybody, and I get along with everybody? Yeah. At least they think that we're getting along. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The phrase, uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer, I believe, was uttered.
1: Well, when I was listening to all of you talk, I was thinking that it's not that they don't, the family that they don't know how to talk to each other. There's a sense that they don't necessarily care about each other.
2: Oh.
1: Right? Except that the mom says to Brenda... She makes that insightful comment about Nate, you know, that he can be very this or something. And then Nate, he's trying, you know, he's the one that's nice to Claire when they're going to watch TV. Are you in trouble? But you don't really have the sense that they actually like each other. Right. But you have the sense that the mom, who's just sort of adrift, is trying everything she can to hold it all together. Yeah. And I think that she's... Uh, I mean, none of you are really talking about her, right? So she's like the invisible one. Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. And then she comes on as the powerful one when she says, okay, I'm going to be an equal partner. Yeah. I mean, she's very, even though you don't think that she's fashionable in any way, there's not a hair out of place. (laughs) Totally. She pays a lot of attention to the way she is. It's just that you don't happen Mm -hmm. to think that the way she is is very hip and cool, Mm -hmm. or it is totally hip and cool because it's so... The other way. Mm -hmm. But I think that she has a very strong sense of self. I just Mm. think that she's easily overlooked. And that's probably the way she feels. I mean, at that dinner table, she's trying to hold it all together. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean. Totally. She's at the head of the table. She's trying
0: to hold it together. I'm really glad you brought that scene up because I felt like a lot of sympathy for her in that scene. And I think. Yeah. That's a scene that in the past, maybe watching the show, I would have taken her frenetic attempt to maintain order in that scene as a joke at her expense somehow. But when you think about what she is dealing with in that moment, she's meeting Brenda for the first time really she's tried to put this whole nice evening together and in her mind Brenda and Nate have completely disrespected her and thrown it in her face and she still makes the choice of trying to mm-hmm. have a nice dinner with everybody and look for a point of connection which is an extraordinarily selfless
1: yeah
0: act. right because yeah. she would have been well within her rights to be like get out of my house
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a a slight spoiler, but not really, but um, I know there's a moment in a later series when Claire is, is getting ready to go to college where we find out that Ruth was at one point going to go to college, mm. and everyone's like, what? You... We didn't know that, and she says she wanted to study French feminist writers, and Claire says, you're a feminist? And she says, "Being a feminist is about doing what you want." I wanted to be a wife and a mother, um, and that's a really interesting, I think, encapsulation of her character. Mm. That she—it's th- that she has that confidence, um, yeah—and mm. she just hasn't expressed it in ways that other people expect her to. So,
1: well, she's expressing it, but they're not seeing it. Yeah, you know, she doesn't. She doesn't like shuffle through the house. She yeah. proudly carries herself through the house. Yeah, that's what I
3: mean by, like, they're expecting it in a different way, and so they're not seeing what's actually there at this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. I Because they're
1: not paying any attention to her. You know, that
0: makes me realize, Jake, uh, something I hadn't thought about before, but that I'm sure was very intentional and pointed, which is that she and Claire both have red hair. Mm-hmm.
1: You hadn't noticed that? No. What?
0: <laughs> I hadn't thought it about the it first until thing you saw. right now. <laughs> so that I mean it seems like the show is actually pointing at the idea for both of those characters like there is a continuum here there is a connection there yeah. is a bond and you just haven't been able to find it with each other yet. Mom, to go back to the the thing you were saying about Ruth really quickly. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't say I could imagine somebody listening to this and knowing that you are Jake and I's mom.
1: Right, the mom. And the mom. Right. in the Right, in I don't really, right. Dynamic,
0: and that the reason that you're expressing all these feelings about Ruth is that you feel similarly unseen or, or unappreciated.
1: I don't think that's true at all. I just, I don't feel that way at all. What I'm saying is that you're spending a lot of time talking about all of the other characters, which is very much in keeping... With the fact that everyone in the show is not paying attention to her.
0: Right. We're doing to her what the show, what the other characters in the show do to her. Exactly. But w- what I was going to say is, I, not to, I wasn't, didn't mean to suggest that you feel that way. I more wanted to say to people that it's interesting that you are noticing that about her because I don't think of you as that kind of person at all. An invisible person who lets other people make their choices for them.
1: Well, thank you. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, if you, dear listeners, have thoughts that you feel like we did not cover, remember that you can always send us an email, ffg at walt.fm. This has been another episode of Fisher Family Ghosts. Thanks, Jake.
1: Ciao, familia.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mom. It's
1: fabulous. Yep. La familia. (laughs) Thanks, Adrian. You're welcome, honey. That's a lot of letters. Oh, my God. It is. F-G-I. Sam had the idea for the podcast, and I
2: was like, oh, should we
1: get
2: an email for it? And he was like, "Alright." All right.